This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Ashley Souza, Chief Brand Officer at Crabtree Nibelin. And what I love about beauty is that it has the ability to stand for something so much deeper than reducing wrinkles. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Welcome, Ashley. We're so excited to have you here on Beauty is Your Business today. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Well, let's get into talking, I think, first a bit about you and your career trajectory and what has brought you to Crabtree at this point. How did you get into beauty? What, you know, has been your path up until now? Sure. Um, So I actually grew up um, in the beauty industry. My mother owns a hair salon and has for over 40 years. So um, I grew up in that environment with about, I don't know, 17 sort of surrogate mothers that um, were her stylists (laughs) and have been employees of hers for about 40 years and was going to college and decided that it wasn't really the route for me. So I actually left university and I moved to LA and I went to makeup school. Um, in Los Angeles and I started to freelance for TV and film for a while out there and when I decided to move back to Boston which is where I'm located now I got the job as the executive assistant to the co-founders of Fresh Lev Glasman and Alina Roydberg and I was incredibly incredibly blessed and fortunate to work very closely with them it was just us and two other individuals in a small loft office in the south end of Boston and Um, They mentored me in all things product development and creative um, and ended up staying with them for about five years, moved to Manhattan with them, um, and then took a job as the director of product development um, for a sort of um, startup K-beauty inspired brand called Patchology out of the Boston area. Um, And then I was, yeah, and then I was recruited from there to come to Crabtree to spearhead the rebrand. So a long wow. line of beauty history. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it all the way from, I, I, interestingly enough, one of my first jobs was in a, a hair salon that my aunt worked at. She's a stylist to this day. And so I oh, had cool. a similar first beauty exposure and definitely didn't think that would end up being my career, but it's amazing how those influences start and build in your life. So that's amazing. And working with fresh and Wow. What, a, what an exciting career. And now you're at this amazing point where you've gotten to take a legacy brand that has so much history behind it um, and everybody has wonderful memories of it. Um, I love going to the stores growing up in the mall and with my family and it was such a beautiful experience. So I'm so curious to see how you approached, you know, giving it a refresh and where you even start with that. Yeah, um, it was a very overwhelming process, to say the least. I say often that it's been the shortest and longest four and a half years of my life. But, (laughs) you know, when I came on board, um, I I came on board just to do product. So I was head of global new product development. And then as as we sort of moved through the first year and a half, I took on um, bigger pieces of the brand in general. Um, But the, the 
my main focus when we were sort of thinking about how we wanted to approach the rebrand was really to go back to the founder story. I think working so closely with Levin Alina at Fresh really taught me how important that founder touch is, um, not only to the business and the brand in general, but to the consumer. Um, I think you can feel Levin Alina in every product and, and design that you see come out of Fresh, and that was really relatable to the, to the customer. So we went back to our founder, we went back to Cyrus Harvey, who started. He was a really fantastically interesting man. He was an entrepreneur. He was a traveler. So he was a wanderluster. He was a curator and he was deeply inspired by um, traveling the world and sort of curating products based on his travels. Before it was Crabtree Mevelin, he had a shop called The Soapbox. Um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which, which is where he sold all these artisanal soaps um, that he collected from his travels around the world. Um, and I thought that there was just um, a really gorgeous story there um, that had sort of been watered down and lost over the years since he sold the business. And not only that, but all of those characteristics of Cy Harvey totally resonate with the new target demographic that we were going after, which is sort of this 28-year-old urban millennial. Um, he was sort of a millennial of his own time, so to speak. So we really wanted to revamp the product, revamp the ethos, and kind of get it back to what it was originally, the mo much more modern twist. Wow. That is, that's such a, it's, I love that idea of going back to the roots to kind of bring it into the future. Because really, that's what the brand, a lot of, I feel like a lot of times brands will do a revamp and you don't recognize the brand anymore and it doesn't feel related to the history. And then it, it you kind of lose what everybody loved about it in the first place. So I love that idea of taking the best um, of where it started and kind of bringing that forward. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you approached the products and you know, bringing new things into the in new collections and new um, scents. And, and I know there's a lot related to travel in the line now. So how that worked into it as well. Yeah. So we wanted to create a core range of products that sustained us all year round before we started dabbling in our exploration collections, which I'll talk about a little bit later. So we wanted to, to your, to exactly to your point, we wanted to modernize, but keep some really important things um, from the original brand. Evelyn Rose is a heritage line that Sai created years ago. We wanted to modernize that. The first thing we started with was the fragrance. So typically it was a very powdery grandma floral. Um, and we wanted to flip that on its head and we wanted to go with a more woody sort of base note to, to the fragrance in that collection um, and really kind of play on this um, duality of today's woman being sort of strong, but also feminine. So we created Evelyn Rose as our sort of hero hydration line. And then obviously, it, which is also our namesake, Evelyn, um, and the other part of our namesake, Crabtree, we wanted to create a really interesting, shareable, gender neutral line with the efficacy of that range is really in exfoliation with natural acids from the apple. So those were our two namesake ranges that we wanted to sort of be like the, the foundation of the new product range. And then obviously the gardeners, the gardeners hand cream is the most well-known product when you think about Crabtree and Evelyn. And um, we wanted to hold on to that but recreate that. So um, our new gardeners collection is really about sort of this almost artisanal made, not 
when you're working with your hands in the garden, but more of like products inspired by the gardens around the world. So those are our three core ranges. And then most exciting part are our exploration ranges. Um, And so the idea was to really reinvigorate that story from Sai. And we have an exploration team that goes out and authentically explores the world. Um, No agenda, no plans, and um, lives with locals and hangs out with locals and gets to know people and then learns about local beauty and wellness trends and local ingredients that people use um, in their rituals and routines. Um, And then we come back and create a capsule collection of products based on what we found. And that doesn't just apply to beauty. It also applies to local artisans that we meet along the way. Um, So we're kind of branching off into lifestyle, which actually is what Sai used to do um, back when he first started Crabtree. They used to sell jams and jellies and sheets and cookbooks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So we're, again, trying to go back there, but doing it in a modern way. Wow. Having that being the beauty explorer sounds like the most fun job. Right. (laughs) That's incredible. Wow. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be my job, and then they said I needed to do this other business <laughs> stuff, and I had to hire somebody to do like, it, and I was wait like, a wait second. a minute. <laughs> I volunteer for doing the exploration, but wow, that's incredible. I'm really curious, since the products and the collections, you know, have really revamped, and obviously the packaging, it, it you know, and the visual part of it is has a totally fresh look too, so how did that play into it, and how did you go about constructing that, you know, visual aspect. Yeah, I think that's probably um, the most um, controversial approach to what we did with the rebrand. I think the business has changed hands a few times and there have been a lot of packaging redos, not really touching the formula, but um, just redoing the packaging. And every time it was trying to stay close to the old look, but revamping a little bit and it never really worked. And so I I knew that we had to make a bold choice and really just start fresh um, and do something that wasn't going to look like the old packaging that was going to resonate with younger, um, a younger demographic and um, be a bit more um, simple and streamlined. Um, Again, coming from my fresh days, there's something about being able to take a product and put it on every single person's bathroom counter or kitchen sink and have it look beautiful no matter the aesthetic of your home. Um, So that was kind of the thought process there. Um, And we worked with a branding agency out in San Francisco that I've worked with previously called Bartlett Brands. um, And they helped us sort of create the look and feel for all the different ranges. Wow. And so did you have to go through different iterations or what was the process like going, you know, evolving from what it was and all the different you know, I guess, phases of the packaging and the look of the brand and history and how it got to where you landed? You know, I would like to say that I took a lot into consideration of what it looked like in the past, but we knew we needed to make a clean break. So I didn't really. And we really just wanted to take some of the heritage, but just start fresh completely. Um, So we went through a lot of iterations. I think the whole process took us almost two years, to be honest, from from start to finish. Lots of, especially with Evelyn Rose, I struggled with that line. Um, Pink is not my favorite color, but it sells, man. Girls love themselves some pink. So we ended up with pink and that... (laughs) We worked with a really great illustrator called Philippa Edchill, um, who did all the great little uh, illustrations on our packaging as well. So it was a labor of love, to say the least. Yeah. It really looks beautiful. And it does. It looks fresh and new, but it does still, you know, look like 
you know the brand. It's not like yeah. totally unfamiliar, which is cool. And I'm curious, so now that you've got the products and the packaging, what was your plan and how, you know, did you execute getting it out into the world and introducing, you know, sort of like the new era of the brand? Obviously a lot, I'm sure, went into that just as much as the other facets of it. Yeah, definitely. You know, the business has gone through a lot of changes since I joined even. So when I joined, we still had about 300 retail stores. Um, The business model was completely different than it is now. About halfway through my time here, um, we made the decision to close all retail. Um, Not only to close all retail, but to close our own manufacturing facility and lab down in Woodstock, Connecticut, and kind of move resources into the Boston area um, and started to outsource our manufacturing to all third party and turnkey. When um, when we did end up launching the brand in July of 2019, um, we worked with a really large PR agency at the time um, to relaunch. And at that point in time, we were 100% digital, so 100% D2C. Um, we no longer had stores, so it wasn't something that we could activate um, offline. We had to do everything online. I will say that that has been our biggest learning curve um, as a business. Um, we were very used to, we had staff and, and myself included, very used to traditional retail and launching in traditional retail um, and being able to have customers touch and feel and experience product in person. Um, and that is something that we had not adequately planned for when we did relaunch. So we didn't have a sampling program um, in the pipeline yet, which we do now. Um, so the the buzz and the acquisition of those new customers has been our biggest hurdle. Um, it's something that I wish we had put as much time into thinking about as we did the product and redoing the launch um, and the portfolio and the branding. Um, so we're still learning and we're still trying to get the news out about the rebrand. We're working with a, um, a different PR company now um, in the UK and the US, and they've been getting us some, some great pieces and some great traction. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell. And you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at StoryDot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. So you said, obviously, it's the brand is totally online now. So how has that been with building like your connection with consumers and that maybe we're used to finding you in stores? Um and that type of thing. What's the process, you know, really been, I obviously you said it's still a work in progress, but what is your sort of plan of attack for that? Yeah. So we really focus on paid media for our acquisition tactics, um, and influencers. Um, we've had a very robust micro and nano influencer strategy. So we've been trying to stay 
as authentic to who we are as humanly possible. Um, the whole, whole storyline around exploration is about exploring authentically and, um, you know, not being just sort of a, um, an Instagrammer in a, in a place like Bali. Um, we want to show what it's really like to be there. And so on the same front, we want to use influencers that fit that sort of ethos. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, we've, we've got a lot of work to do on our loyalty program and finding better ways to communicate with our new target consumer. Um, we've also been up against, um, our old consumer not being really happy with us. Um, so it's been a, a delicate balance of trying to manage their expectations as we attempt to move them with us into the future and also try to communicate with that, that new, um, pool of folks as well. That's really interesting. I'm curious, you mentioned that your your new target consumer, or I don't know if that was new or necessarily, is 28-year-old urban, you know, I don't know if mm-hmm. female or um, if that was specifically, but where, what, how did you arrive on that sort of, you know, sweet spot? And like you said, how are you also bringing along the people that have, you know, been fans of the brand and, and consumers of it in the past? Yeah, so we worked with a um, a big consumer research agency when I first started, um, and we actually sent um, ourselves, our, our leadership team, as well as a lot of their team, to about uh, 16 different cities across the globe um, and sat and met with um, different um, age groups and pri- primarily found that 28-year-olds in urban cities actually are most alike than anyone else across the globe. Um, so they have similar ways that they shop. They have similar ways that they um, buy into beauty and they absorb beauty and they look for beauty, um, peer reviews, et cetera, et cetera. So we found that it really sort of streamlined our targeting if we stayed really focused on that 28-year-old that lives in an urban city. So we're talking Shanghai, Hong Kong, London, Paris, um, New York, LA, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really those same trending, trending topics within each one of each, um, one of them and within that demographic that made the most sense for us to sort of zone in on, um, disposable income, but not too much love to travel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in regards to our, um, our very loyal previous, um, consumer, We kept 50 of the old products in the portfolio in order to um, bring them along with us. And we didn't want to totally walk away from who we were previously. So we do have um, 50 of what we're calling now cult collection. Um, So the cult classics and favorites um, still in the portfolio that they can shop with us. And, you know, we found that converting them over to Evelyn Rose has been easier than the other ranges. Um, Some people are coming with us. Some people aren't. And we knew that was going to happen. And we kind of accepted that when we decided to make such a big change. Very interesting. Um, I'm curious, do you think that as you move forward, you'll be evolving, you know, your approach, um, whether to bring some of the things back that people are asking for still, or are you going to kind of keep, you know, evolving in a way that brings, you know, the, the, the former consumer and the present and the future consumers together, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And unfortunately, we tried to do that for a couple of years and it just doesn't prove successful. You can't be everything to everyone. 
um, especially when you're right. trying to come out as something like revamped and new. So um, we're super happy if people come along with us. And I'm not I'm not totally opposed to bringing back an old classic at some point. It's not in the the immediate product pipeline. Um, I'm not opposed to it. Cy did some really cool things back when um, when he started the brand. So it's definitely something we could look at. Um, but really, we're hyper focused on newness. We want to innovate. We want to um, really expand our authority in skincare. Um, so that's really the focus in the next few years. Got it. How do you see the evolution of the brand in the near and not so near future? What are your goals for it? What it, I know you mentioned, um, you know, growing the online, um, audience and that type of thing. So what's the plan for that? And what do you see for the future? Yeah, we have some lofty goals from our shareholder, um, so <laughs> <laughs> lofty, very lofty. We are super, super focused on China. Um, so we're, we're, we've been selling on, um, at Tmall International for quite some time. We're launching on Tmall Domestic. Um, he's from China, um, so it has a big presence there. So we have a huge drive to build up the, the China business, um, as well as APAC in general. Um, so that's a really big focus for the business in general. Um, we definitely want to expand beyond um, being known for hand care. Um, and we want to have an authority, not just in hand and body, but also within skin. So that's within the next five year plan to really sort of start to get some ownership there. And in terms of just expansion in general, I think in order to help us with the acquisition challenges that we're having, I would love to get us some, some better distribution within um, the U.S. specifically to start with now and then potentially in um, the U.K., in Europe moving forward. So working to try to get into some, some great retail partners over here without expanding too quickly um, into that like we did previously. Got it. So you're also looking at retail channels. Are you looking at other online retail or brick and mortar or a combination of both? Combination of both. We're kind of taking it as it comes. Um, we will be launching on Hudson Bay's marketplace in the next um, couple of months in Canada. So that's been a great um, opportunity for us and um, potentially looking at some other marketplaces in the U.S. as well. Really trying to pivot away from the old approach of Crabtree Evelyn, which was to go into like every... Hallmark store and mom and pop shop, not, not the route that we want to take. Um, so just trying to be more strategic and making sure that we're putting ourselves in front of the ideal customer that, that we want, um, which right now we just have a, a hard time doing. Are the different markets that you're in, do you, are you looking at different approaches to retail based on, you know, the customers there like whether all online or a mix or that type of thing, does that come into play? Not at the moment. And I think that's because right now I'm really only focused and, um, and my shareholder is really only focused on China and the U.S. Um, those are our big markets that we want to really establish ourselves in. And then I think the mix will really start to come into play as we expand into further into Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, eventually, we'd like to have a few of our own flagship experiential stores um, where I would really like to bring exploration to life for our consumers, um, you know, not just product on shelves. So that's in the longer term plan. But for right now, we're kind of open in the in the U.S. in particular um, to any sort of mix of traditional retail um, or online. Got it. So exciting. And I'm really curious, obviously so much has gone into this whole rebrand and rethinking of the brand from the ground up, really. 
I, this is a huge question, but what are some of the most unexpected challenges that you've met along the way and how did you kind of work through those? Oh boy. Um, there's so many to think about. <laughs> there really are so many to think about. You could take um, <laughs> Honestly, I would just, I would say that the, the, the legacy portion of the business was the most challenging for me personally. Um, I think making the decision to take us out of Woodstock where we had employees that we've had, this business has had for over 30 years, um, was really, really difficult, um, on a empathy and emotion level, um, you know, as well as a business level that that was incredibly difficult. I also think that pivoting from a brick and mortar strategy to a D to C strategy midway through a rebrand can be really challenging. Um, I don't think I would have set up the product portfolio the way that I did with so many different SKUs if I didn't think that people could go in and touch and feel and smell them. So those, those two, I think were two of the biggest challenges, um, for me. And then, you know, the, the, the typical product development headaches that happen in every single product that you're trying to do from formula to packaging to manufacturers. And then you've got a tech transfer from our Woodstock location to a third party, you know, and then of course, China in general, registering to sell in China is a beast in itself. And then trying to do that while you're trying to launch 60 new SKUs at the same time. Um, while exploring the world uh, to create these exploration collections. Yeah, it was it was cumbersome, but I would say, you know, the closure of Woodstock and the pivot um, in the overall business strategy were, were two of the biggest challenges. I think um, we've worked our way through them as best as we could have um, and tried to treat people right and um, do the right thing in terms of moving into this next phase. Um, but it was it was a really difficult couple of years. I can only imagine. Well, congratulations <laughs> on your success and getting there and being on this journey. Um, and sort of related, but so what have the silver linings been, you know, for you in this process that you've seen, you know, the things that you didn't expect to kind of be a positive outcome of everything that you're doing and, and yeah. how you've revamped the brand? Um. The reason that I've, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that I've stuck through all the chaos, and I think um, a few of my employees that have been here with me along the way have as well, is um, the bigger purpose of what we're trying to do. I, I think in today's day, you can't think that you're going to have a brand or rebrand and not have a bigger purpose um, behind what you're trying to do. So, you know, I've, like I said in my intro, I've always thought that beauty has the ability to stand for something more um, than just this topical approach to making you look younger. It's why I always loved the beauty industry and, and feeling good and, and doing good. Our exploration collections are um, really all about give back. So, um, through the people that we meet on the ground in these locations, we are finding a need um, within the community and working in some in some scenarios to set up charities and other scenarios to just help support charities and, and help um, fund some of these initiatives like in Bali, um, the Waz Foundation, who we give 5% of our proceeds back to. And we also um, give a, a monthly donation so the founders can keep doing their work throughout COVID when um, tourism stopped and they had no income. Um, and we're doing a similar thing in um, the location of our next our next launch, which is going to be Greece. Um, really just helping people, people in these villages stay afloat um, is the goal. And, you know, um, being able to support and give back to these local communities, what they've been able to give us um, through our time traveling there. So that for me, every month we get these reports on what 
Waz and my friend Moyan is doing in Bali with the funds and cleaning up so much plastic from the island and giving children English lessons um, and all of this. It's 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 what makes it worth it, you know. Um, Sai Harry was really about connecting cultures through product, and that has been sort of my mission throughout this whole process. Has been, you know, that we can kind of create a um, a, a better and more understanding world through the products that we sell with the stories that we tell about those products and the people that sit behind them. I love that. That's amazing. And it really is cool to see, you know, like I've gotten to see those collections and to experience, you know, I've never been to Bali, but I got to try the body bomb and, you know, the massage oil and all those products are just so transporting and they really do give you a sense of like the culture and, you know, being in another place. So I think that's amazing. Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. And now, it's Hitting the Pan. So I think now we're going to take a moment um, and do what we call on the show Hitting the Pan, which is a play on hitting the bottom of, you know, your makeup pan. So this is when we get to find out, (laughs) you know, when you get to the bottom of your blush or your eyeshadow, you hit the pan. So this is when we get to know you more as a person, Ashley. So we basically spin the salon chair and um, usually if there's multiple hosts, we'll land on different people. But obviously with me, I get to ask you my question. So I, of course, during our conversation, the first thing I think of is where do you personally want to explore as soon as you have the chance in the world? What's your number one place or places that you can't wait to get out and explore? So many places I want to go. Um, <laughs> I really think um, Chile is top on, one of my top on my list. Um, I'd love to go to Patagonia and kind of hike around there. Um, so that's definitely on my top. And then also, um, I have not explored nearly enough of the United States of America, to be honest. And I would love to go like to the Pacific Northwest, which I've never been. So that one is probably easier to get done coming out of COVID. And then maybe Chile will come Yeah, these days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. I've never been to either of those places, but I'd love to. Yeah. Sounds incredible. Maybe we'll see some collections coming out of there (laughs) in the future. So. All right. Well, at this point, um, we ask you to give us a final thought about the conversation um, and let our listeners know how they can connect with you and or the brand. Yeah. Crabtree and Evelyn's rebrand is really all about connecting people and cultures around the world in a more intimate way through stories and products. 
Um, so if, if you take nothing else away from this, then, then I would want to, um, say that that's the most important thing. It was wonderful to, to be here and chat with you through the rebrand. It's been a pivotal growing point, um, for my life and my career to be a part of rebranding this, this whole company. And it was great chatting with you and it was wonderful to be here, connect with me or the brand in general, just by reaching out, um, via, uh, Instagram. So crab, Crabtree and Evelyn, and, uh, we'll get back to you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for your time and for being here with us today. And thank you to everyone for listening. Check back next week for another great guest. I'm April Franzino, and this is Beauty is Your Business. This has been Beauty is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.